Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at Caskers.com. Hi, I'm Alice Living, best-selling author, personal trainer, and host of Give Me Strength, where we discuss the positives of living a stronger life physically and mentally with the hope to inspire you to do the same. Welcome to Give Me Strength. My guest today is Ben West, who is one of the most engaged mental health campaigners in the UK, committed to making real change around mental health in our society. In 2018, at just 17 years old, Ben's world collapsed around him when he tragically and unexpectedly lost his brother to suicide. The loss of Sam, aged only 15 when he died, propelled Ben to take positive action from this tragedy and concentrate his pain into a drive to campaigning around mental health awareness suicide prevention and fundamentally changing how we approach mental health, especially in schools and the education system. Now, I came into contact with Ben's work through someone else that I think uh, we have a mutual contact with, and I was honestly blown away by some of the things that he's done and continues to do, and I am so excited to have him as a guest on the podcast today. Ben, it's brilliant to have you. I'm so grateful for your time. How are you doing today? Thanks so much for having me on, Alice. It's a real pleasure to be here. Um, I have had I've had a really busy day, <laughs> um, but it's okay. It's uh, it's dragged. It's dragged, but it's almost over, and I get to finish my day chatting to you. So the perfect ending to a to a busy day. And how are you with dealing with busyness? Like some people love it and some people hate it. I feel like I bring it on myself. I'm like. I feel like my diary looks quiet and then suddenly I'm like, oh my God, cool, cool, cool. No, I'm not very good with dealing with business. I think my brain works really well when I have like free time and I can sort of just like make it up as I go along, quite impulsive. And as soon as it just becomes busy, I feel like I just recoil into into like... I can't cope with all this mode, um, which is mad because like when it's not busy, I seem to be just so on it. And then as soon as it is, you, I sort of really struggle to actually find the motivation to get through the business, which is like the worst point to actually lose motivation. So yeah, it's been a, it's been a slow, slow day today from a motivation point of view as well. I feel you, honestly. Some days, some days I'm like oh, firing things out left, right and centre. And some days I'm like, I've sent one email and that's my work done for today. <laughs> I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway. I, I I really am grateful for you giving up your time today and talking about a subject which I guess you speak about a lot, but I also really um, want to tread carefully in terms of what you're comfortable and uncomfortable talking about. But obviously I referenced in my introduction some incredibly difficult subject matter for you surrounding the death of your brother. And, you know, like I said, treading carefully around the subject and as much as you're comfortable with sharing, can you maybe talk me through a little bit about this experience and how it really changed yours and your family's lives absolutely so um yeah I mean we cast our mind back five six years uh it was 2017 um and I was 17 years old I grew up in Kent so I was living in Kent at the time fields for miles like sheep outnumber people 10 to 1 um and there was me living with my mum and dad our dog and my two brothers Sam and Tom having the time of our lives, everything was going well, you know, like we'd had such a great life. We're really close, all of us. 
good friends, good education, everything was going well. Um, and then in September 2017, Sam was diagnosed with clinical depression. And my mum told me, I remember really well, like we had dinner one night in September and mum was just like, Ben, do you want to just have a chat quick? Um, and was like, Sam's been diagnosed with clinical depression. And honestly, it went in one ear out the other. I was just, she might as well have told me Sam had been diagnosed with being a bit sad um, or he's having a bit of a bad day. Like that's what my brain registered her, her saying that as. Um, and what that meant is I never spoke to him about it. I never really saw it as a big deal. In my head, I was just like, just like go for a run or like how, how could you not be dealing with this yourself? Then a few months went past. We got into January 2018. Sam to be honest, actually seemed like he was getting better, um, which is obviously pretty sad looking back. Seemed like he was improving, um, going through, you know, ebbs and flows, but overall improving and becoming a little bit more fun to be around. And then on the 21st of January, my dad went to work. My mum, Sam, Tom and I sat down to have dinner. Um, lamb kebabs my mum made, which were delicious. And I'm, it's weird when you go through something like this, the, the memories that stick out. Um, we had dinner together. Sam was completely disengaged from dinner. Um, wasn't there at all, pushing food around his plate. And I remember, like, I I got quite annoyed by that. Like, I I found it annoying that he was withdrawn. Finished dinner, um, and then I went upstairs, had a shower, and the next thing I know, Mum is like humming. She realized that Sam wasn't okay at dinner, was humming up the stairs that she how she like walks around the house like I don't know what she was humming, some random song. And I uh, could hear her humming up the stairs. And then Sam was in the attic. That was his room in the attic. And I'd heard her then walk up his stairs, humming along. And then the door opened and the humming stopped. And it was about five seconds. And then just, just the screams. Um, just screaming and screaming. The screams then turned into my name. Um, and obviously I was just sat on my bed listening to music. And I, you know, Sam was clumsy. My mum's clumsy. I thought someone had fallen over and broken their arm. <laughs> I was like, oh, stupid them. Right, let's go and sort it out. I run over and I, yeah, I open that door and it's, you know, I can see it in my, I can see it now as I think about it. It's just the most horrific thing you can imagine. It was just absolutely awful and then I cast my mind back while I'm you know while, while I'm sitting here talking about it I think you know in September mum told me that Sam had clinical depression like he, they, she told me realistically that Sam had been diagnosed with an illness that would take his it was a fatal illness um and I reacted like he'd been had the cold because I had no idea what that meant um if my mum had sat me down and said Sam had been diagnosed with terminal cancer or something I would have been like oh my god that's horrific let's go and talk to you. Let's go and sort this out. Let's actually be an older brother. Um, and I didn't get that opportunity because I didn't realize what she said. Um, opening that door, it was like your worst nightmare of, oh my God, this is what, this is what he was, this is what he was going through. And I don't think I understood until I opened that door, just how bad what he was going through was. I'm so, so desperately sorry for your loss, Ben. And I can't imagine how difficult that must have been. And I kind of want to I guess in a way, tread really carefully around it, but sort of talk about some of the stuff that you met, mentioned and referenced in the lead up to that situation. I think we all of us think that, especially in the ones that are closest to us, we'd sort of spot the signs if people are struggling. I think a lot of us sort of feel that we have this instinctive kind of gut feeling to know when things aren't going great for people. And I know that even with my 
you know, closest friends and family, I've been shocked to find that there have been times when they've been struggling and I, and I haven't clocked it. And I felt this immense sense of kind of guilt and, um, you know, frustration that I, that I hadn't allowed myself to see those signs. You mentioned that you sort of, your mum obviously told you that he had clinical depression, but did you see any of those yourself? Did you recognise them? And actually, I guess that's something that you now do in your campaigning is, were you even aware of them at the time? Oh, it's such a good point because we talk about mental health now more than ever before. Um, and I think we simplify it so massively, but actually it's still an incredibly complex thing. When you when we talk about, I mean, let's just, before anything, before I get into anything else, I was literally told that he had the most severe form of depression and no point did it, it set off alarm bells in my head of this is something I should talk to him about. You know, we at that point I was given the clearest sign that he was struggling. Like he'd been diagnosed, formally diagnosed, and it never, it never even occurred to me that I should probably have a chat with him. But on that point, did did it ever occur? Did, did you see the signs leading up to that? You know, did that diagnosis come as a shock to you, or was it sort of a kind of descent into? You know, you referenced that you had this happy family, and and were there signs sort of leading up to that? You know, that you that you that you now know to be telltale signs but at the time you I guess you just didn't really recognize or it didn't register oh definitely um so I mean he went downhill for for a while um and he sort of started to change but to be honest what was really difficult is it like he's 50 he was 15 <laughs> like him not wanting to be happy families all the time or him not wanting to muck around with me anymore or him like being you know going through changes like that's pretty normal so for me what was difficult is actually understanding why what he was going through why it made it a problem rather than just a normal thing because let's face it people at that age you're going to disengage you're going to have bad days you're, you're going to be embarrassed by your family right um and i guess for me looking back what stands out and i guess for what other people should be aware of is when when this is long term everyone has bad days like God, I'll I'll be miserable at the table sometimes, and like, and not want to go out and see friends. Right, everyone everyone goes through that, but to go through that for months when it starts to affect their life, um, if it's consistent, and you mentioned earlier, like you sort of have a gut feeling when something's not right. I had a gut feeling that something wasn't right, but I think my brain overruled that feeling, and I think we do that a lot. We we sort of have this gut feeling like, oh, that that per- that friend's. Like she hasn't, or he hasn't come to a lot of this stuff we've been doing, or is like really not, not seems like, doesn't seem like themselves. We have that gut feeling, but often our brain will sort of be like, whoa, it's not our job to, to, to step in. Oh, what if they take it the wrong way and they, they are embarrassed or annoyed at us for asking if they're okay or suggesting that they might not be. And so we almost have that gut feeling and our brain just interrupts and goes, oh, but we don't, it's not our job. We don't need to. And for me, that was absolutely true. Like I'd been told that Sam had been diagnosed with depression. My gut feeling was, yeah, this isn't right. <laughs> I should have a conversation with him. But my brain went, it's not your place. He's going to feel embarrassed. It's an embarrassing thing to talk about. I don't want to do that. It's not that serious. He's going to counselling. He's got. He's going to sort it out. It's all fine. I don't need to get involved. Um, and obviously, looking back, like God, I'd give an arm and a leg to go back and and wake up and and actually have that conversation. So what I'd say to people is it now is like trust your gut um, and also be and be annoying to people. Um, I've got friends that always ask me if they're okay and it is annoying, but you know what, if anything wasn't okay, they'd be the first person that I went to or the first people I go to. So don't trust your gut overall your brain 
um, because we we're very very good at, re- at having a little thought or an idea that someone's not okay and really when we have when we talk about mental health and the importance of talking what we're really saying is more of us need to act on that gut feeling um, and and have that conversation and it's very easy for me to sit here and say that because telling someone to talk is incredibly easy actually talking does not get nearly the respect it deserves. Um, I feel like because mental health is talked about in the public domain so much, it's become this simplified thing when actually these conversations are really, really difficult. And anyone that can anyone that can put their hand up or take a friend to a side and say, I'm not okay and I need to talk, or anyone that can be like, you haven't seen yourself recently, what's going on? Oh, they have their mind. they have my respect in bucket loads. That's a really difficult thing to do. Um, but like I said, I give I'd give quite a lot to go back and and do that um but yeah I'd say trust your gut of course and that, and that's brilliant advice and the other thing that I wanted to pick up on Ben is um you know you referenced a, a sense of frustration at your brother's withdrawal I guess from kind of the normal life that you had grown up with and I think that that's something that you know my own experiences with mental health and actually I guess this is a a, a very naive old Alice's approach to, to how she would approach the situation but I know that I've had situations where, you know, with, within my own family, I felt this deep sense of frustration at like, why can't you just like pull yourself together and kind of, why can't you just, uh, you know, get over it? And, you know, all these kind of awful thoughts that we have because we assume in our naivety that these things are just easily overcome. And you reference clinical depression being, you know, one of the worst things that you can be diagnosed with in terms of mental health conditions. But, you know, we're now in some ways so used to hearing these words of depression and, and all these sorts of things that we sort of, we really lack the depth of understanding to know what that actually viscerally looks like for someone. And I think that's what's really hard for us. We we have these two separate conversations. We have one where it's very normal to talk about mental health and it's very almost normalised now to discuss these conditions, BPD, you know, depression, bipolar. But on the other hand, we have this deeply uncomfortable place where not many people are brave enough to go to which is to really confront and understand what these things are truly like for people and I think that that's what 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 we uh, and what I as a person have really had to work hard to do is not only just to to talk about it and not only just to ask my friends if they're okay but should something actually be wrong should there be a condition that's maybe a bit less palatable than than just having a few bad days to actually really go there and understand what does that look like for someone? What, what what does the reality of having something like a clinical depression or a BPD, what, what does that look like for someone so that I can truly understand where you're at? And I guess within your teaching and the campaigning that you now do, do you get people to go to that place? Do you try and get people to really understand the reality so that they can then empathize so much more with those people? Well, I think, I think you're absolutely hit the nail on the head there because as human beings, there's there's two ways we can react. Really, there's sympathy and empathy, and sympathy is great, right? I mean, it's it's always nice to to be sympathetic to people and be kind, but it's very different to empathy. Um, empathy is really understanding the situation they're in, putting your feet in their shoes, really understanding exactly how they're seeing the world. And if you can nail that, that is an amazing talent because again. Empathy, it's a word that's that's thrown around a lot. But if you can, it's actually far diff- more difficult to practice than it is to to, to preach. Um, if you can really nail understanding what someone's going through, that's really important. And actually sets you up in terms of so many different things in life. But in terms of mental illness, um, really 
doing the research, going away, having a look. There's so much online about all of this stuff. There's so much you can learn. Actually having an interest, asking that person that's going through something, what is it like? What is what I like and being honest, I don't know what it's like. Tell me what it's like. How how does it affect you? What does it do? That's how we that's how we create bonds and relationships with people and how we move forward supporting someone else. But I will caveat all of that by saying supporting someone going through mental health struggles is absolutely exhausting and you shouldn't feel guilty or shame for being annoyed, getting angry at them, maybe even shouting at them. Sometimes it is an incredibly incredibly exhausting, draining experience to go through and you shouldn't necessarily feel guilt for reacting as a human in those situations. One of my biggest things that I try and teach and and I've said it a lot over the last few years is feelings are exactly that. They're there to be felt and they only they only hurt us if we don't feel them. So whenever you feel guilt and shame, whenever you feel anger, the problem is not being angry. The problem is not being angry. And obviously we can work on ways to be angry in a safe way and in a way that's healthy. Um, but when you have those feelings of guilt and shame and, and, and exhaustion when dealing with someone with, that's not something to just push away and pretend it's not there. It's something actually you should be empathetic towards yourself. Um, about and, and be compassionate towards yourself about um, but but no it's it is about empathy um, and this is why I think and, and it's the backbone of most of my campaigning work actually is we talk a lot about the the one in four of mental health and how one in four people in this country will suffer with a mental health condition um, really the people that hold the key to solving the mental health crisis that we're in currently are not the one in four, it's the, th- it's the three in four. If the three in four can nail helping the one in four, then we solve it. Um, and so all that is, is trying to t- teach empathy, teach about mental health, teach people, give people the understanding of what it's like to go through these things, because then we can all just be a bit more supportive to those people that are going through it. But again, don't please don't anyone listening feel guilty or shame for reacting badly. I've been there. I mean, the last thing I ever said to Sam before he died was F off. I mean, we had an argument. I hated that he was so miserable all the time. I shouted at him and then half an hour later he he died. I've dealt with that for the last five years. And actually for two years, I absolutely hated um, the, the air I breathed because of what I said. Um, and I've learned actually now that we can't feel guilty for stuff we say in a difficult situation. And actually also what's important is those sorts of throwaway comments. They don't make people do that and they don't create effects like that. It was something I worked very, actually something I worked very hard with a, with a very lovely counsellor of mine um, on guilt is so misplaced in a lot of situations in life, but certainly when it comes to to living a life with someone that's affected by a mental illness. Definitely. And let's talk about that. So obviously, um, you know, recovery has obviously been a huge part of your life over the last sort of five years. Um, You mentioned that counsellor there, but um, I'm really intrigued to know how you navigated the recovery process. I mean, it's something that, you know, I can't even imagine going through and, and, you know, even just putting one foot in front of the other one day to the next how you get over something like that. I guess you never get over it, but how you learn to deal with it. Um, What did your recovery process look like? And especially, I know that you talk a lot about sort of managing grief um, within your your, um, campaigning and education. 
how did you go through that process and and also get yourself to a place where you're now so comfortable to talk about it and and share that experience with others in the hope of you know helping other people what was the process like um long <laughs> long and slow and and i don't think it's necessarily finished um but it's it, it's not been easy i mean i just said there for two years i really struggled with who i was and Actually, for two years, I would have, and I did do a lot of podcasts where the first question is usually like, how are you? And I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm doing okay. Look at all the wonderful stuff I'm doing. I'm fine. Yeah, you like almost like look the other way um, when actually I wasn't. And it's the irony is I was there talking about how important it was to talk. And, and there I was just completely lying about the fact that I really had, hadn't solved or sorted anything that I was going through. The process for me started when I met a lovely counsellor um, who I got in touch with me, offered me some sessions, and I'm still working with her now for two, three years later. And really that made me realise how much work I needed to do because it was the first time I'd actually had, and, and also we don't necessarily need counselling for this to happen, by the way. It was the first time I really had space or allowed myself to have the space to really check in with how I was feeling and be honest to myself. Um, and I realized actually there was a lot that I still needed to process a lot that I still wasn't comfortable with. There was a lot that I was going to sleep thinking about that, that I'd sort of wouldn't want to admit to because admitting it makes it real. And suddenly I had this space to admit that it was real and go, oh yeah, I, you know, <laughs> this thing does exist. I'm still, I'm not okay at the moment. Um, so anyway, I worked, worked through a lot of that. Um, I think half the struggle is realizing what's going on anyway managed to check in managed to realize there was a lot that wasn't okay and then for me the process of recovery has actually been learning about how my brain works and just sometimes sitting there in awe and fascination with how these things work grief um and actually anxiety and a whole host of other emotions that we feel it's given a really bad rep um and obviously there are disorders that are attached to that when they don't function properly but Grief has given a really bad name because it's seen as such a bad thing. And for me, one of the most amazing experiences I had and most amazing learning journeys I went through was really understanding why grief is there, what it's going on in the brain. For anxiety, um, my grief was quite connected to anxiety and, and trauma um, was connected to anxiety. Realizing what anxiety is, is actually doing in your brain and why it exists. And actually going back to like the hunter-gatherer days, and trying to join the dots from behaviors we see now all the way back to when we were picking up berries and nuts and and sometimes catching a like a rabbit or something whatever they did back in the day and and understanding that anxiety is not working against us grief is not working against us trauma and the awful cocktail of disgusting emotions that comes with trauma is not working against you it's actually your brain working incredibly hard to look out for you and so I had this really negative thought pattern when I was anxious or when I was sad or when I was angry or when I was getting flashbacks. I had this really negative thing of, oh, just like pick yourself up and get, oh, this is ridiculous, Ben, absolutely ridiculous. And what I realized through sort of connecting those dots and working through it was all my brain's doing is trying to keep me happy and trying to keep me safe. You know, anxiety exists because it identifies a threat and tries to make you avoid that threat or trauma response and the anxiety it's just basically saying this awful thing happened we want to make sure it doesn't happen again so we're going to make you alert to those things um 
And as soon as you start to understand those those that those patterns and those um, those pathways in your brain, you can start to actually react to anxiety and react to grief and react to trauma with thank you. And that was an incredible moment in my recovery, actually thanking the anxious feeling I got whenever it occurred or feeling sad or feeling angry and going, thank you, because it's there to look out for you. Um, and obviously there are disorders that, that can come about from it, but but these emotions, they're not working against you. And we've given so many of them such bad names. They're so negative when actually all they're doing is trying to allow you to stay safe or stay happy or interact the world with the world in a safe way. That was honestly one of the biggest moments in my journey because it started to really change my inner internal dialogue um because that's the environment that you really live in is whatever you're saying to yourself and if you're feeling tired one day don't i mean we started this call like how's your day been my day's been awful like <laughs> it's in a day's gone past i would have been like oh, i felt so unmotivated today like it's so i'm so bad at this why am i why can't i get my work done why have i just i just missed a um an event in my diary by accident I've double booked myself in a few months time and it's just like in the past I would have got so angry at that and now I'm like but yeah of course I've had like an insanely busy week of course you're now going to be tired um and it's that compassion that allows you to sort of see the the program the timeline and the path you go on because I think most people don't they they don't go through that and they don't see that that step process um and it's really important to 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 realize it's there We'll be back after this. Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at caskers.com. Welcome back to Give Me Strength. I think that we have such a broad spectrum of human emotions, right? From, you know, the worst of the worst, the best of the best. We we can access so many places, but so many of those over the years have become so um, kind of tarnished, I guess, because we almost feel that we should always be. And I think that you know, even I liken the fact that I think social media really convinces us that we should be happy all the time and everything should be great all the time. And so when we feel anything that's a little bit abnormal, we have a bad day, we feel particularly stressed, anxiety is kind of rising or whatever it is, we automatically associate that and I think it's so powerful what you just said about almost being grateful for that mechanism is that I think so many of us associate that with a bad thing I shouldn't be feeling this and it's almost in that suppression of each emotion that we we see in our heads to be negative that we cause ourselves to become almost numb to the fact that we're supposed to have this huge broad variety of feelings even throughout a day I could go from being like the happiest person in the morning the most stressed by 10 a.m by 5 p.m. I'm like, you know, whatever, whatever else comes at me. But but I think that it's um it's really important to hear that description that you just gave us about this kind of understanding of why our brain allows us to have such capacity in terms of emotions, because actually it's really important and changing our mindset on certain, uh, you know, um, certain, sorry, 
words within our emotions. So whether it's anxiety or grief or um, stress or whatever it is, not seeing those as shameful things. Oh, you're absolutely right. There is so much shame. Um, and I think also we do live in a world which is all about quick fixes. Um, and so if you're feeling tired on a Friday, it's like, oh, maybe my iron's low or maybe, you know, all of this other stuff when actually you've just had a really busy week. And so sometimes you sort of look past the real reason why. Um, we talk a lot about putting mental health on the same on the same amount, uh, you know, giving mental health the same attention as physical health, right? But actually, you know, we still live in a world where we value physical health and treat physical health far different to we do mental health. We don't tend to think, oh, maybe I'm maybe I'm going for a bit of an emotional hangover from all the work this week. We go straight to, oh, maybe I haven't gone to the gym or maybe I haven't taken enough iron or maybe I'm not getting my vitamins. Actually, you know, we need to really reflect on all of this, but never, never from a place of shame. Look, we, I've done a, I've done quite a lot of work recently around um, BDD, body dysmorphia, um, and eating disorders, and, and the drivers of those. And so much of it starts from this very early pattern of shame, of feeling anxious, and then wanting to control, and and all that anxiety just builds and builds and builds. And I'm not saying that gratitude is going to solve people's problems at all, but we can protect ourselves generally by just being kinder to the thing in our head that keeps us ticking um because constantly we're told that we need to be better or deal with this better i mean especially as a man at the moment you've got certain influencers being like oh you should do this and you should have a bugatti veyron and run a three million pound a month business and and constantly it's we need improvement we need to be better we need to be better it's a mindset problem it's a motivation problem it's and actually no, it's probably not. Um, it's not a problem at all. It's probably actually a problem where we're we're speaking to ourselves so negatively. Um, and it's, I think, a real driver of the problems we're seeing. Because let's face it, the world and the UK is almost a record amount of unhappy. I mean, so many people report that they're unhappy, loneliness through the roof so much unhappiness and really i think one of the drivers of that is perfectionism um perfectionism is driven by negativity bias a really unattractive attacking internal dialogue because we're constantly trying to be better whenever we set a goal if we reach that goal we immediately go what's the next goal <laughs> we never it's never a milestone it's always just the next goal um and i think actually there's massive driver of, of the unhappiness problems is if you set your goals as being perfect and everything needs to be perfect and you need to achieve a perfect body perfect mind perfect work balance perfect this perfect business then if perfection is your satisfaction you will never be satisfied and what we've created is the society which tells you perfection is the only thing that you need to strive for and that's filtered through to our mindset as well and our mental health because if we're not good one day then it's almost already attacking so i can deal with this better when actually like you said we have good days we have bad days even within the day we have good hours and bad hours right um and and we need compassion and we need to understand that perfection when it comes to your your mental health and your emotions is never, it's not a realistic goal. It's not something you're ever going to get. So if you can't change that, then let's actually just be grateful for the emotions and the brain, the organ that is driving and, and, and driving us and, and helping us 
um, stay afloat in what can be a chaotic world. Have some compassion and please don't ever anyone chase perfection because it is it's it's a hole that you will fall down and, and never get out of. I think there's so much to unpack, unpack within that. I'm like, oh my God, I have so many things ticking over in my brain. I think one thing that I, that I firstly want to touch on from that is this idea that, um, as you mentioned, we constantly need to be achieving and doing and, and being better than we are. And I think that that is the world in which we live in right now. You know, it's we're being told that we can start a business from our phones and the capacity to succeed and to earn money is so broad now. And it's dangling a carrot and making it so appealing to just, you know, screw the rest of everything. I, I just want to have financial success and it's so easy. All I need to do is just do X, Y, and Z. We're almost making it so cookie cutter into how to have this life that we think that we want. And social media offers us that window into, oh, but that's what I could be like. I could be that person. And if only I just did this, this or this. And I think that it's a really challenging dynamic. And when I think of my own journey of, you know, getting to the point that I am now, it's been over the last few years where I had this big peak of success when I was really young. I'd say maybe like 23 to 25, it was riding high. Everything was great. Things were coming in super fast. And I never once stopped and took in the fact that that was an amazing place to be and that I was very grateful for being there. It's always just what's next, what's next, what's next. It might end tomorrow, so what's next? And it's really only been over the last few years that I have properly learned to pause and appreciate in a big way, even just like I'd say maybe the last 12 months where I've said yes to things, but I've said yes to things in the sense that, wow, that's an amazing opportunity and I'm so grateful for being given that. Or, wow, I cannot wait to spend time with my friends and how lucky that I'm able to do that. So I'm going to do that. Rather than just always being about being more and doing more and having more, it's about really looking around you, around you and going, what have I got right now that needs to be nurtured and celebrated and that I'm grateful for? And I think that I, you know, and I've worked with a therapist for a long time, I, I have an incredibly fatalist mindset in, in, in day to day. I constantly think that my career is going to be over tomorrow. I'm never going to have anything. It's all going to go. And suddenly, you know, I'm going to be on, flat on my ass and have nothing to do. And, you know, it, it, it makes for a really anxiety-ridden existence. And I think that I am one of many who has that. I think many of us might live in this position where we sort of just are existing day to day and kind of thinking that, well, it might all end tomorrow. So let's just go, 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 go. Do you know what I mean? And I think that it's, oh, it's yeah. becoming deeply problematic. And I'm, yeah. I was part of the problem for sure. And I think as well, you start tying into you know, news, current affairs, climate change, all this, you, you get this recipe. And as soon as you, and this is what's happened to me, as soon as you start to hear and talk about what we've just talked about, you realize like how can, of course, like of course we're seeing the problems we're seeing. Of course we're seeing like levels of unhappiness the highest because it makes sense because constantly we're being stretched in all these different directions, which we're not designed to stretch in. We've got to impress everyone. We've got to have, got an absolute nail every aspect of our life and then the world's going to end. So, oh well, you know, like it, it, it's natural. Why shouldn't we be feeling like really anxious about everything? Um, I think what I, I love what you just said and your mindset around that is such a healthy thing to have developed. And, and I'm sure you can speak on this, but it's not an overnight thing. Like so many people, exactly so many people. And even for me, it's taken years to get to a point of even considering any of the stuff that I've just been talking about. 
we're all after quick fixes. Naturally, human beings are like that. If we're gonna, if we can cut a corner, our psychology tells us let's cut a corner because um, it's easy, takes less effort. We're we're wired to do that, um, but it takes lo- a long time, a lot of work to get to this point. You don't walk into a gym one day and become the absolute peak physical health. It's the same thing. You don't listen to a podcast or go and see an Instagram post and then suddenly change your entire mindset. So many people are really ready to give up so quickly if they don't see immediate results um but this is this is about something that needs to happen in your everyday decision making compassion remind yourself this is what my brain's looking out for me really understanding how you are really taking a moment to understand why you're feeling tired why you're feeling unmotivated why you're feeling angry and then allow yourself to feel the emotions that they're coming through if you're feeling anxious then allow yourself to to vent that and really explore why you're feeling anxious. If you're feeling angry, go and shout into a pillow or go and like like kick a ball into the back of a net as hard as you can. Like healthy ways of expressing anger. Um, that really in one myth, uh, one sentence is sort of everything that we should be doing internally, checking in on ourselves, being kind to ourselves and feeling what our brain's telling us to feel. You know, it's not rocket science. It's really not difficult. But it takes a long time to build all those three things into your life um, and create healthy, healthy lifestyle. But we are after quick fixes. And social media doesn't help that because social media is just bombarding our brain with everything happens immediately when really in this world, nothing happens immediately um, at all. I mean, honestly, like imagine going back in time like 50 years and we have to wait like two days for a letter to arrive. God, we'd be go, we'd be driving ourselves mad waiting for a letter because everything's so instant. Um, so again, on what we've been talking about, when we're being impatient about things happening, that's not something to get angry at yourself for, or like dropping the ball when it comes to going to the gym or going through routines. Like that's not something to get annoyed at yourself for. That's literally just how the the experience and the environment that we're in now is worrying us to always want things now that's not your fault that's <laughs> that's the powers that be um in this world that are, that are making content and making things so fast so naturally anything that's not media is going to be unsatisfying um but actually you know that there's not something to beat yourself up about. I mean, the theme of all of this really is don't beat yourself up. <laughs> We're trying our best. And if you're not trying your best, then maybe you can have a conversation. But if you're trying your best, don't, please don't beat yourself up. I think you can. we can all be reminded of that daily and still it might not be enough because so many of yeah. us just do it. But look, I, I think that you speak incredibly on all of this stuff and to, to hear you kind of come out from the most traumatic experience one might go through to to go to make it their life work to kind of change those things and to 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 help others is just incredible and I'm really inspired by where you now find yourself in terms of the work you do and I'd love to hear about your current projects and how you really pivoted I guess to making this something that you are you are really making happen and and hopefully changing things for the better absolutely so um to be honest <laughs> it this does feel like a big part of my recovery in itself, um, being able to help, um, it, it means so much to me, but also when Sam died, like he was so desperate for people to be happy. He was so desperate for people to know what he was going through. Um, and it almost feels like I'm sort of doing what he would have 
let, if he'd survived, he'd probably be the one on this podcast um, doing this stuff. It wouldn't, you know, I think that's what he would have been doing now. So for me, it feels just like I'm I'm doing what he wanted in the world. Um, in terms of projects that I've got at the moment, God. So we've uh, I've been working on my biggest project recently has been on um, basically in universities, we're trying to introduce a statutory duty of care law. Um, so at the moment, and we know this because of an unfortunate court case after a girl died at university, we found out that no statutory legal duty of care exists in universities. So a university can't be found negligent um, in terms of a, stu- a student's death unless they're disabled. So basically we were like, um, that's that's not good. Um, and me and a group of uh, about 35 families that have all lost loved ones to suicide at university um, petitioned government um, and end up getting a debate to get that implemented in law. Um, we have now got a private member's bill going through the Commons, but really, and this is one of a number of projects I'm on at the moment, it's all about trying to identify the small wins that we can have the really simple fixes, um, because let's face it, we're not going to overhaul the mental health service of the NHS overnight. It's a long, long process. But if I can be the one that's like, actually, you know, we should be listening to mental health nurses. We should be, we should be implementing this. We should be looking at the way we can have A and E's built differently so they support mental health patients because A and E is the worst possible place you can go if you're in crisis. To to let's train teachers in mental health first aid. And I'm on a I'm on a round table at the moment with government talking about how we introduce um, new statutory requirements for mental health education for all trainee teachers. Um, for me, it's those simple things that we can do. If I can be the voice of the students, of the teachers, of the mental health nurses, of the psychologists, of patients, then that's what I'll try and be. And I will try my best to be in every room that I can be in, um, pushing that forward. But yeah, in terms of projects, that's the main one at the moment. Um, it's just trying and trying is the word <laughs> to get this bill through, um, which has been a long, long process and a learning curve as well. Like f- f- at the start, oh my, we're going into parliament. You'd be like, oh my God, this is so cool. And I was like looking around, this is awesome. Now, honestly, you'd have to drag me kicking and screaming back into that place. <laughs> I don't want to go back in at all. <laughs> I'm sure you're not um, the only one, Ben. <laughs> yeah. Especially right now. <laughs> yeah. Look, Ben, I, I feel like that's a lot on your shoulders and that's a lot to bear as an individual. And I'm sure that you have your coping mechanisms in place and your supporting structures are pretty solid. But can you talk me through how you now navigate, you know, nurturing your own mental well-being? You've spoken about your counsellor, who sounds amazing, but even just your kind of daily non-negotiables, what keeps you in a place that you feel you're able to take that burden and run for it for the other people that that maybe aren't, able, aren't here or aren't able to do it for themselves? Yeah. Um, so I don't know. I, I feel I feel like I run the risk of sounding a bit hypocritical. Not that anyone would know, because I'm actually I've had I've haven't been great at doing this recently, but I am really conscious of trying to improve. I think for me, what's what's the change that I always do, and the, the thing that I always do, my non-negotiable is always checking in with myself and really identifying. Okay, if I'm not okay, I'm not just going to pretend I'm not on steam on three. I'm actually going to take some time and work out why I'm not okay and actually recently it's because I've just been so so bad at morning routines um and if I haven't got something scheduled in the morning then it just becomes such a slow morning I end up actually feeling exhausted and so I've really 
tried now to be much better at morning routines and like making sure I'm waking up on the same time, healthy breakfast, which I'm terrible at, um, going for a walk, actually going to like go, just going out and because I live on my own. So literally just going out and, and seeing another person and seeing like um, going into a coffee shop or going into the supermarket so you can be around people in the morning. Like there's there's research on that. It's amazing just at kicking your brain into gear. Um, bit of exercise literally nothing major 90 seconds has been shown to like change your neural pathways for the entire day so we're not talking about a 5k we're literally talking about i don't know like press ups of 90 seconds right for me it's like really coming up with a plan for mornings but beyond that it's just really understanding that's what i needed to do um and look i i have tiring weeks i have bad days i still have very traumatic moments and it's not it, what, my non-negotiable is um, it's never attacking inwards and I know we've spoken about this a lot it's it's never an attack it's never anymore it's not I'm really frustrated by not being okay or not feeling like I'm motivated or having flashback it's not annoyed annoyance at that it's like okay let's let that happen let's sort of rework my life we talk a lot about mental health nowadays and I, I, the research goes, I think 95% of people understand that mental health is important, but in the same piece of research, they found only 26% of people will treat mental health as their priority or one of their priorities over the next three years. So only 26% of people, when it comes down to it, really consider it one of their priorities. For me, what's really important as a non-negotiable in my life is mental health is the priority and the word priority means more important than anything else and if i need to cancel something or move something or get some time or go for a run instead of doing something or just then i'm going to do it because it's the most important thing um the word priority gets misused a lot that's what it means to me that to be honest is my non-negotiable and what it means is checking in and, and actioning stuff that needs to be done. That's really brilliant. And just on that, and I think that would be a really nice note to leave this conversation on it. I could talk to you for ages and there's so much more that I think we could go into. But but just as a kind of take home point, I know that for those listening, that's probably something that they're really sitting there and thinking, you know, this all sounds great. But how the hell do I turn around to my employer or my friends or my family and say, I'm really struggling. I need to just take time for myself. I need to go, I need to go and, you know, do something that's going to make me feel mentally better and actually, even I've had conversations really recently with friends, with people that are pretty close to me, where we've talked about them struggling, but them not feeling confident enough to turn around to most notably their employer and say, I'm not, I'm not dealing with this well and I need to do something because this isn't, this isn't working for me. How do you encourage people to have those conversations? You know, you said really confidently, like, this is my number one priority. Nothing will get in the way of me looking after it. For those that might want to do the same, how do you help them to get to that point? And that'd be a really nice place to leave at. Yeah, I, I think it's it is difficult, and like a lot of these conversations, it's so much easier to sit on a podcast and tell people to do it than it is to actually do it in your of life. Of course, but, of course, of course. But I think actually, in terms of the work thing, we see that so much, and and people are like, but I can't because my boss isn't understanding. Fine, um, that that does make sense. Think about the stuff you can change: morning routine, how you set your timetable, how you plan your day. The stuff that's in your control change. If it's still a problem, why are you there? Why are you working? That's not an accusation. Like, just think about it. If you're if it's sapping your happiness, then why are you there? And if it's really not that supportive, like you can consider moving. Like, I know obviously a lot of people aren't in the situation to do that. So let's focus on the small changes. But really, if you are in a situation to be like, actually, I, I shouldn't be dealing with this. 
most workplaces now are fantastic at dealing with mental health. I work with businesses. We're changing. The whole workplace is changing. If they're not keeping up, then really they don't deserve you. Um, so that's one thing I'd say. Never be afraid to question that. But also, like I said, just what it, what really understand what's in your control. Morning routine, how you schedule a day, everything that is in your control, make sure it works for you. And if work is the problem, then maybe cutting down on drinking after work, going out after work, you know, changing how you use your social time and your your relaxing time. Because actually, if work is going to be a significant problem and sapping your energy, then try and make your free time as energy motivating as and, and as recover as much recovery time as possible. Um, if your job was an athlete and then suddenly you were out on the, you know, drinking and going out every night, then of course you're not going to be performing and not going to be happy. So if you changed your your free time to recovery time in a, in a way that you enjoy, in a way that you're still getting value out of, then actually you can start to create that happiness in a different way and create that that motivation and energy from somewhere else but again easier said than done i do understand that um but look mental health's got to be the priority because every single thing you do that everything you interact with the world um every way you interact with the world is connected to your mental health if that's not healthy and if you're not happy everything else going to, is going to suffer because of it mental health has to be the priority and priority means more important than anything else um and sometimes that means a real difficult decision and a real difficult conversation with yourself brilliant answer ben thank you so much that was really really helpful and i guess also like you know it's so so important to remind ourselves of these things sometimes i think we can get so lost in just going day to day to day to day and then suddenly pausing and going oh my god i'm really struggling um my final question to you ben is where can we support you with all of the amazing work that you're doing if someone wants to engage with you uh to come in and speak at their company or if someone wants to kind of back you and all the incredible change that you're trying to instigate within within uh, government where can we support you with those things well i am i mean the best place to go is my instagram at i am ben west but also i'm online benwest.org.uk send me an email if you're a business send me an email um i'd love to love to help out i think there's a lot of small changes that we can all do and that includes businesses um to really help the wide uh, mental health situation but yeah i'm on instagram i am ben west or just search me pop me an email Beautiful. Thank you so much, Ben. I'm so happy that we were able to connect. And look, I think that what you are doing is just so inspiring and you speak about it with such confidence and authority and it's and it's really amazing the work that you're doing. So um yeah, I hope that we can connect again in the future and good luck with the bill. I have my fingers and toes crossed oh, for you. And uh, yeah. <laughs> the bill, God, the dreaded bill. I yeah. know, I really do have everything crossed. If there's anything that I can do to help, please do let me know. Um, thank you but yeah thank you so much for your time and yeah I hope we can connect again in the future thanks Alice thank you so much for listening I really hope you enjoyed that episode I would love it if you could take some time to rate review and follow the podcast as it really helps others to find it we have a new episode dropping each week so this will also ensure you don't miss out see you next time Insanity Group. Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. 
Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at caskers.com.